0: Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast, where true wealth is your health. I just had the honor of interviewing Michael Lowe, CEO of Simply O3, but much more than just a businessman, he's a man on a mission to reduce suffering with as many people as possible. One of the more interesting things we talked about were his five areas of life he tries to improve on, which is his faith, friends, family, fitness, and finance. Micah is more than a businessman. He's a philosopher. He's a dad. He's just a great man overall. Micah, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for the interview. Guys, check out this interview with Micah Lowe on the Health and Wealth Podcast. See you guys soon. Okay, I'll be up front. This is a philosophy show disguised as a health show. I love your, and we'll just roll right into it now. I love your post on Instagram. that The one post was, happiness is not hidden behind a wall of money. And when I look at all yeah. your things on Instagram, you're a man on a mission. And it seems like you're trying to change everyone's life for the better. What's the origin story? What sparked this mission that you're on?
1: Yeah, um, I couldn't say, it. well, thank you, first of all, but pertaining to Instagram itself, A lot of those posts are just like journals that I personally, you know, things I just personally think about. And then I just started, decided to start posting some of them and hopefully, I don't know, I don't really have an agenda with it. Like I'm just putting it out there and seeing what happens and um, not really like, I'm not here to try to really like grow it or get a huge following. I'm just kind of in the context of doing my personal brand, so to speak. It's just like, I'm just posting whatever I feel like and, Whatever happens, happens. But there is a broader picture of, like, how do we alleviate suffering in the world? And I feel like that's, like, my personal mission, personal calling. Um, and so, like, the, the kind of the story behind that, um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's kind of long. Everybody's is, right? But essentially, I, I had a brother that passed away when I was 14, you know, really looked up to him, loved him dearly and that kind of thing. And uh, he died in a, a demolition accident. And then, uh, very briefly after that, my other brother was diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer and, uh, you know, not expected to live very long, but essentially there, there was just this pain of losing my brother and the prospect of losing, uh, my other brother as well. And so he was going through the job. I I had an interest in medicine at that point. At that point, I wanted to go into philanthropic. Um, medicine, so like mercy ships, if you had ever heard about that, which is like this giant like carrier, basically docks at, at a new location every few months, does a bunch of like surgeries and healthcare for people for free, and it's usually in like third world countries and that kind of stuff. But so I already had an interest in in health and wellness, and um, my brother being diagnosed with with cancer, and this progressed for a long time. So this is not like within a short period, you know, I was like fifteen, sixteen at the time. Honestly can't remember the ages. Fourteen might have even been off. But you know, the his battle with cancer lasted up till he was forty two. And so that was like an eighteen year period or so or I can't remember the exact date, but it, it was a long time. And as I got older he had gone deeper into conventional medicine with the Johns Hopkins program. And they started treating them kind of like a guinea pig. Because uh, at one point they said like, hey, you've lived way longer than we expected, which is great. And I can't say if that was due to them or not. Um, I'm inclined to think that they were probably doing more harm than good based off of what I was seeing and based off of what they were offering. Um, but they, they said we can do some experimental stuff at this point to try to work with your brain cancer. And so experimental stuff. There was like this one example is there was this extremely toxic drug that had a bunch of downside to it. Like you know, really just level your body, level your systems, and and your path to healing. Really, and it only had a positive, effect, potentially positive effect. Not even like uh, well studied or well known, but potentially positive effect on thirteen percent of people. And that thirteen percent. Uh, they had to have a particular genotype for this drug to work. And this, you know, this uh, Johns Hopkins system didn't even test them for the genotype. They're just kind of trying to see what happens. And um, really kind of sad. It also included like open brain surgeries and things of that nature. So you're getting this like at, at a pretty young age, this pretty intimate, um, intimate and close. Th- thing relationship to suffering and what it really looks like and and i wasn't sick but you know people that you love going through those things is very difficult and so it 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 started to be kind of this this message in my life like maybe i can do something that's a little bit more proactive maybe i can offer something that's going to be helpful for people to help them to heal and and do that so in the case of matt as i started to get older got into you know nursing school and I was going to become a doctor eventually was the plan. Um, I started to look into things that could potentially help Matt with quality of life. And he was still conventionally minded, like all of us pretty much were. We didn't even really know much about natural or integrative medicine at that point. But there wasn't a whole lot of... I mean, Johns Hopkins himself told, them, told us that, hey, there's not really... Anything that we can do, but we can try some experiments and the experimental stuff was like crazy. It was like Like I said the open brain surgeries and the drugs that were super toxic and all that kind of stuff So the the thought process was well Maybe there's some other things out there that can help with quality of life So like hyperbaric oxygen great example uh, came across that and that drastically improved his quality of life in terms of energy, in terms of cognitive thinking, which he had lost through all these surgeries, um, a significant portion of that. Very intelligent person, but you know, <laughs> you keep on cutting out the brain, and, and you lose some of those faculties. Changed his personality, changed kind of who he was as a person to a large degree. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't. I. That, so. I, I but, <laughs> uh, my audience knows too.
0: My sister has stage four cancer, so yeah. I know exactly. Yeah what That's you're tough, going man. through and just the fact you're opening up. I, I truly appreciate this. So I know how hard it can be because like you said, you don't have brain cancer. You didn't have the brain cancer, but the pain you felt is so deep. It's so inside you that your emotional pain turns into physical pain. So I fully understand what you're going through. When you said they were doing experimental, did you think about the hyperbaric chamber or was that John Hopkins' suggestion?
1: No, that was actually, um, there was a guy at our church, he was a uh, a engineer, so he wasn't into medicine, but he had that very like practical line of thought and good understanding on how to go through research and read and get an analysis on stuff. And he actually, his wife had had a stroke that left her um, more or less in a coma. Um, and to this day, he takes care of her like amazingly, like reads to her every night and just like, it, it's been I don't know, 12 years and just amazing person. Um, but he, you know, he had actually uh, built his own hard shell hyperbaric chamber for her um, and, and offered it up to Matt, you know, to use every day. So he had spent a couple hours a day in there for a good long while uh, to, to help with it. So. It was actually through the through this other guy um and and that starts to open up kind of this paradigm for you as like okay so this is something that johns hopkins has never mentioned never even brought up but there's like all this research on it being an adjunctive to like chemotherapy and helping with quality of life and potentially even working on the cancer of the mechanisms itself so like why is this why is this not being talked about and so that kind of changes your perception of oh we really don't know shit about medicine. We don't even really know shit about our own bodies and something that bothers me that I shouldn't say it bothers me, but a thing that I've commonly heard, well, if it works, why doesn't my doctor know about it? Or why doesn't my doctor give this? Because that's implying that they understand every little bit of medicine and how the body works and that they just know like, Oh, we, we have medicine and healthcare figured out. Well, obviously not, because we are, uh, you know, one of the worst ranked countries in terms of outcomes for chronic disease. We're like behind third world countries. I can't remember. We're like in the 60s somewhere. If there was a list of all the countries in the world and their outcomes for chronic disease, like we do not have it figured out. We don't even understand like really basic elements such as the glymphatic system which is how the brain purifies and detoxes itself was only just discovered like back in 2014 or something. And it's this huge system in the brain that has massive ramifications that is massively supportive to our overall health. And we didn't even know it existed until the last 10 years. Like it wasn't even on our radar and it's this, it's this like really fundamental system to how our brain works. And so to assume that like we have it figured out is like, Way off base, and yeah, I don't know where it's going. No, I totally (laughs) agree. Some concepts shouldn't that be a major
0: red flag (laughs) that there's a system in your brain that helps detoxify it, and doctors don't know about it? And it's twenty. It's not like it's seventeen ninety. It's twenty fourteen, and they don't know about that.
1: Well, I mean, it's not like I. I think the red flag for me is the expectation that they do know everything about medicine and that they know what's best at all times for all indications in all scenarios. Like that is. Like they're advisors and they have some tools that can be helpful, but they, a, they're not going to take charge of your health like you do, and so you have to be your, not even an advocate, you have to be the captain of your ship. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you know they only know what they know and what they've been taught, and we just don't know a whole lot about medicine truthfully. I mean, we're figuring some stuff out and. Hopefully it's getting better, even though our chronic disease outcomes have gotten worse and more chronic diseases than we've had in the past. But, you know, we're we're pretty far away from understanding all of medicine. You know, we still don't have a machine that you just jump into and it cures you. Like, in the, I actually just watched Elysium, that movie. It's a good movie. But, you know, they jump into a machine and it's uh, just cures them of all yeah. disease, right? And uh, we're... We don't even know how to work with type two diabetes in the conventional f- school of thought, like a pretty relatively basic thing to work with if you get it early. Which enough. is mind blowing.
0: So the mm-hmm. what was the turning point, Was it the hyperbaric oxygen chamber that you said, there's got to be a different perspective on healing people that's not conventional.
1: Yeah, I think it was that. My dad was also like I said it was a long story, so I didn't involve all the details, but um my dad was also getting invested into um he was a perennial entrepreneur entrepreneur had a bunch of like terrible businesses too. He wasn't like this <laughs> Uber successful guy, but he was very tenacious. So like he had um an asbestos abatement company, which is removing asbestos after the seventies, they declared like, if you're going to remove asbestos, it has to be done in this hazmat kind of way. So he had a business doing that. Uh, He had started like this Amish based grocery store at one point, which miserably failed. And so he had, you know, just had this tenacity to keep on kind of pursuing it. He was very practical in his line of thinking, not the best business person, but like very independent, extremely practical and took charge of things. Um, And so he had started to get into kind of the medical world a little bit around the same time that I was developing an interest in it. And uh, there was a guy at our church, another guy uh, that was different than the engineer, but another guy that um, had talked about something called ultraviolet blood irradiation, which is used for like infections, like severe ones, like sepsis and stuff. Like it can have a massive ramification on or uh, chronic infections or just really a lot of different infectious diseases. Um, and this, this guy that told him about it was a missionary in West Africa using it because they didn't have the drug access out there. So they were just using ultraviolet blood irradiation to deal with these, um, very, very severe infections. And so he was like, huh, that's interesting. I, I want to look into that. So over the course of a couple years, started to look into it, had actually made a clinic that surrounded around this, which also failed, uh, <laughs> you know, a testament to, uh, his tenacity, but not his business acumen. And, uh, and he, and he, did actually end up becoming pretty successful through this project. So he, he did do really well, but, um, yeah, so he, he started that clinic and, um, I, I started to get involved with him. So I was going through nursing school. I was actually working with him on this company, the clinic failed, but out of that, we developed a new product, uh, that was for ultraviolet ultraviolet blood irradiation. Um, we, we had some contact with a guy named Dr. Michael Hamlin, who is the, uh, I can't remember which department, but he's the head of a department at Harvard university, Harvard med. Um, and he basically gave us a, an endorsement on the product, which not FDA approved, but you know, you're getting it from the most credible source and light therapeutics, uh, that, that we had to date. And, uh, yeah, that, that business started doing really well. So I was interacting with, um, practitioners on the conventional school of thought with my schooling and things I was doing and, you know, had even done EMT for a short stint. I found out that wasn't, (laughs) Uh, you know, you have to be of a certain type of person and, um, which is great. I love those people, (laughs) but it wasn't for me. And, uh, uh, but the, so yeah, we, so he had developed out that that UBI machine. Out and I was interacting with people on that side, the conventional side, and then also all these practitioners that were dealing on more of the natural integrative school of thought. And so I was really in a great opportunity to be able to have discussions on both sides of like chronic disease care. And it, it was really enlightening just to see that, oh, chronic disease, like our solution for that, our intervention for that, Is like invasive surgeries and drugs and things that aren't really dealing with the, what is the contributing underlying mechanism that's causing this chronic disease and more we're doing symptomatic coverage. And I know people that have listened to podcasts like this understand that, but like for somebody that's just coming into this, like that, that's actually kind of like, you don't see it as that way when you're in it. Like you don't see it as like, oh, we're really just like a drug and a drug model for the most part. Like you, you see it as medicine, right? And you see it as like evidence-based and this is the way to do it and all that kind of stuff. But another world was opened up to me, which is like, hey, yeah, that stuff, like there's a place for it. There's a time for it, but it should be done in the context context of the holistic person, the the, the oneness that we are. So like if you go to a dentist, they should not just be assessing like how does this, this filler or this thing that I'm doing have an impact on the tooth, but how does that have an impact on the body? Because your teeth are connected to your jaw, connected to your face, connected to your head. And so there's this holistic system that you have to take into account. And that includes diet and lifestyle and all these things you're doing. And it's not just this like binary approach of like, Hey, should we do a drug or should we not do a drug or should we do this? Or should we not do this? There's, there's a much bigger picture to it. And that's really what started to make me more passionate about the, Alternative, natural, integrative, Um, you know, there's different names for different aspects of it. But uh, I I found that to be a better line of thinking, you know, according to me, but I thought that was a better line of thinking of, hey, let's try to get to the root problem and understand what is happening in this person from a holistic perspective, and then make changes um, based on all the things happening in this person's life. And not so much just like, let's try to interject this one or two drugs or this one surgery and see if that fixes it. Like those have a time and a place, but it's within a context of a larger system. And it seems
0: like we're always like decades way too late for managing chronic disease. And your model is, have you read Peter Tia's new book, Outlive? Okay, great book. Basically, preventing the medicine like you're talking about needs to be much much earlier so as you're in nursing school was there a point where you're like i gotta drop out like were you having this internal battle where you're like i shouldn't drop out i should drop out what was the tipping point
1: not so much because like even as i was going through that i was like um so i I was also working in a pharmacy it was really really busy i have looked back at my schedule at times because i kept at that time i just had like binders and i would like schedule out my weeks my days and it was just wild um but it, it, yeah i it, at that time like i had talked to the some of the pharmacists and just very very drug oriented right and um i became disenchanted with the overall concept to the approach but i saw it as a channel or an opportunity to still become a doctor and to eventually go into more of an integrative approach with things and um, that was kind of my line of thinking but around the same time i was getting involved with ozone therapy Due to the fact that I was working with my dad on UBI, a lot of those doctors that were doing UBI were also doing ozone therapy. So I started to look into this treatment called ozone therapy, started to do um, basically an analysis on the research. So I would like to take a topic, say, like, how does ozone therapy have an effect on cancer? What, how does that fit into the context of like cancer care? And so I'd like write an article about that, uh, referencing all the different scientific studies on it, because at the time it was very difficult to get a good understanding on how ozone therapy had an effect in these different disease states, because you'd have to read a hundred to 200 studies because there, nobody had put it together yet. So I started to put together some of those, um, resources that were helpful for people. And then from that developed, uh, simply L three, the product company, um, actually coincidentally with that engineer that, helped Oh, us nice with stuff. Um, but yeah. And, and so started to do that around the same time and it just kind of became an obvious path where it's like, well, um, maybe I won't actually be the doctor, but can I own the organization or create an organization that is, you know, has doctors in it or has some sort of health model to it. And so that was kind of my line of thinking at the time and why I decided to drop out of school and go full time into this space. Uh, I still don't own any clinics or anything like that. I think maybe in the future um, that would be a cool thing to do, but it's it's not really anything on deck. And I found kind of staying on the the product and education side of things has been really good as far as uh serving my purpose of reducing suffering in the world so i'm
0: there i think you're very good on i love your instagram you're very good at taking complicated or complex topics and expressing them to your audience in ways someone like me can understand i'm not a scientist i'm a dentist but i'm not a scientist so what what attracts you to ozone compared to the other natural therapies you were looking at
1: well, I think it was exposure to it, uh, you know, at the same time, UBI. So, like, I w- proximity to it was, like, the first thing that got me interested in it, right? Like, I just didn't know about a lot of different things in the space. But um, the, there was a couple things with it. Number one is talking to practitioners. You talk to, like, a podiatrist, and they're like, yeah, I use this for diabetic ulcers. It works great. Here's some pictures of, like, before and after. I'd be like, huh, that's interesting. Then the next day, you talk to somebody that's using it. Um, as an adjunctive in chemo, a, a chemotherapy patient, and they're like, yeah, I improve their quality of life significantly. You know, doctors love to share their success stories, so you're getting all these this these bits of information. And then you talk to somebody the next day, and they're like, yeah, there's this patient with this uh, severe infection that we were able to reverse using this treatment. So I was like. Things were going off in my head where I'm like, how can you use like one thing in so many different modalities? Because usually we take a drug and we do have some off-label stuff, but we're applying this one drug for this one purpose. Um, and that's kind of what it does. Like there's, yeah, I was just really intrigued by something that has so much versatility. Um, and honestly, like almost to an unbelievable standpoint. But as I started to look into it, I got really interested um, because it, it's it's not, The ozone, in some cases it's the ozone, like you put it onto a diabetic ulcer, that's like killing or like a MRSA infected wound. The ozone is physically killing the infection. It's also stimulating some hydrogen peroxide in the skin, which also is like a very important in our immune system. So it stimulates that hydrogen peroxide to kill the infection. off. So it does have some like direct mechanism there. But for the most part, if we do like an IV of ozone therapy, or uh, you can also do like an ozone enema, uh, which has a systemic response, it's not the ozone that's going in and doing the work. It's a catalyst. So it, it stimulates a small stress to the body that the body responds to and gets stronger. Exercise is the same thing. Ice baths are the same thing. Sauna is the same thing. We're using what's called a hormetic stressor uh, to, to build back a body a little bit stronger. So. That That's kind of interesting because then when you see a list of like a hundred different things that it works for It makes a little bit more sense because it's not the ozone that's doing it. It's Ozone is just the catalyst to get your body up and running and performing as it should and then your body in turn is able to make these intelligent um, uh, These intelligent differences in its systems and what it's able to do and what it needs to do and all that stuff this may be
0: hard to answer but what are the main things people are seeking out ozone for what conditions do they have
1: uh cancer lyme autoimmune infectious disease and mold toxicity are the five most common i'm not saying that those are the poster childs for ozone therapy you know the research is like peripheral vascular disease it's really good with shingles it's really good with uh you know diabetic ulcers and MRSA it's really good with so like Those things are like kind of the poster child for ozone therapy, like the things that it works really, really well on. Um, But as far as the market is concerned, like why people are using it, it's cancer, Lyme, autoimmune, infectious. What is it doing for cancer? Uh, It's a great adjunctive in the sense that if somebody is undergoing chemotherapy, there's studies that have shown like a 70% improvement in quality of life. So diminishing the negative side effects of chemotherapy. So fatigue, brain fog, energy, hair loss, like all those things can be greatly diminished if they're doing ozone therapy at the same time that they're going through it. Uh, For people that are not undergoing chemotherapy, it can be helpful, and, and if they are too, but there's people that don't. So it's also helpful in the sense that it's an immune modulator. That means we're balancing the immune system. So you don't want an immune system that's just boosted, that's really running and all that kind of stuff. Like we tend to kind of think of, am I pushing it up or pushing it down? What you really want is a balanced immune system because an overperforming immune system is an autoimmune disorder essentially and an underperforming immune system well it's not killing off the bad bugs so in the context of cancer they're usually immunosuppressed their immune system is not able to take infections very well it's not able to take and get rid of bugs very well so if we apply ozone therapy to cancer patients it helps to modulate and balance out that immune system so that, that it's not like a direct attack on cancer or anything like that, but it creates a better terrain for the person to be equipped to go through the healing process. So we're just basically mapping out a better terrain for the body to do. How are
0: these cancer patients taking the ozone?
1: Uh, IV rectal or vaginal would be the most common because those are the three ways to have a systemic response in the body. Um, So, like, if you put ozone, say, like I was saying, with, like, the diabetic ulcers, a podiatrist has somebody come in with a diabetic ulcer on their their foot or their lower leg. Well, they can put a bag over that area and infuse the ozone gas into the bag, and it's going to help to heal that. But it's not going to, like seep into the rest of the body and give me the immune balancing the microcirculation the oxygen deficiency the oxygen delivery the mitigation of chronic oxidative stress it's not going to give me those things through those methods but if I do an IV rectal or vaginal those are the things that are going to happen within the body. Are people,
0: this is kind of a funny question, are people resistant to putting it rectally or vaginally?
1: Um, (laughs) Sure, I mean yeah, (laughs) like uh, I mean uh, Obviously not people coming to us that are asking to buy it, but, um, yeah, if I were to go out and say like, Hey, do you want to do, (laughs) I'm sure like most people would say, no, thank you. I'll find (laughs) another way. Um, but if you're sick enough and you, you have pain or you prioritize your health in such a way that like you can just get over that, um, then yeah, there's a lot of people that do it. I mean, there's, uh, we sell a lot of machines for that. Um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a few people that do, but I think most people just have like, uh,
0: I don't want to do that. Well, yeah, I mean, if I'm suffering yeah. from chemotherapy side effects, I'm sticking that tube wherever to relieve my symptoms. So I, I totally yeah, get it. Exactly. Are there people that don't have the top five taking ozone, like in the biohacker community, are people using ozone to just increase their health?
1: Yeah. So there, it's actually, there is. Research on 150, over 150 different indications with those ones, so 150 different diseases. And that's just research, that's not even uses. So that's like there is documented studies on this particular disease. And I'm not saying that they're all perfect studies by any means, some are pretty like. And yeah, you could have done better on this study, but there, there's some, you know, there's double blind clinical trials and all that kind of stuff. It just ranges on the indication. Um, but yeah, as far as performance enhancement or just like overall health and wellness, there's a couple things to it. One, it's a preconditioning agent. So if you do ozone therapy, you're upregulating your endogenous anti- antioxidant enzymes, which is, antioxidants are really important for the body. They're like protective they, they protect us from damage, and they protect us from oxidative stress, which is an excess of free radicals. So if we have a good antioxidant production, um, that's going to be associated with less disease and living longer. And so if, if they've done studies where they'll take, like, rats and they'll have a group that's doing ozone therapy, a group that's not doing ozone therapy, and then they'll induce a heart attack in the rats. And then they'll they'll do a dissection afterwards and see, like, How did the heart do with the group that did ozone therapy and the group that did not? The group that did ozone therapy prior to the induction of the heart attack almost has perfect heart function. So it's a preconditioning agent. So if you do go through a stressful situation or a traumatic situation, you're going to be more equipped to be able to handle it. Um, the second thing from there, though, is the oxygen efficiency is that it actually increases your stamina, especially if you're doing a long distance sport like uh, soccer or your runner or something up that alley is we're increasing the rate at which your cells are able to take and utilize oxygen to produce energy. So it keeps you in that aerobic state um, longer by upwards of like, I, I can't remember, it's like 22, 25 percent or something, which is really significant. Um, so a- actually a good majority of. I shouldn't say majority. It's it's on the other side of 50%, though. Um, a professional sports team in all five of the professional sports are using ozone therapy in some capacity. So it's pretty well known to be a performance enhancer in that way um, due to the oxygen efficiency, has that preconditioning thing. So if you do get an injury or you go through something traumatic, like you're more apt to handle it. Um, the third thing I would say is like it does help with a lot of there's, there's so much to it, but again, it's like, it's not the ozone that's doing this. The ozone is like a stimulus that your body responds to. And then your body has this intelligent response where it delivers what's needed to the right area. And so it it sounds like there's a ton to it, but just understand it, it it truly is the body doing that work. Um, but yeah, it, it would help with, um, Circulation in the brain and oxygen delivery in the brain. So that might help with uh, brain fog and things like that other
0: side effects to doing it too much
1: Yeah, I I mean you you could do too much Uh, that that's a lot of stuff though You can do hyperbaric oxygen too much. You can drink too much water and all that kind of stuff. So um, As long as you're staying it we're talking about an unreasonable amount like you're you're doing way too much, but um, yeah, you can induce, and there I'll, I'll get to this in a second, but there are, is a segment of the population that do, does need to be careful with it. But you can induce too much oxidative stress, just like working out. So if you worked out 12 hours a day, is that going to make you stronger, faster, healthier? No, it's going to keep on tearing down the muscle. It's going to keep on tearing down systems because you're not giving it time to repair. And since with ozone therapy, we are inducing a stress, we need to give it that allowance to repair. And so if you do too much... You're just continually stressing out the body and not giving it the opportunity to grow off that. Um, and, and that can put you in a state of more oxidative stress, which is going to lead to more digi- more disease and more aging. But again, we're kind of talking about unreasonable amounts, like amounts that people I, that I know of don't do. I have come across a couple people that like just overdo it because they just think more is better. But um, for the most part, people don't do that and you do heal up and repair from it. Um, but In the case of what's called G6PD deficiency, um, which you can get tested for, uh, you do have to be very slow with ozone therapy, meaning that you start at a really low end and slowly work your way up because G6PD deficiency is indicative of their ability to tolerate oxidative stress, i.e. ozone therapy as well. Um, But with those people, they can still do it. It's just they have to start at a lower threshold. Um, and most doctors actually don't test for G6PD deficiency because the reason is if you just work people up slowly and start at the lowest end and then continually titrate up over time, you will be able to identify if they're not tolerating it well, because they'll feel a little bit tired the next day. If you do ozone therapy and you feel a little bit tired the next day, that means you did a little bit more stress than you needed. Um which your body is now going through that reparation process, creating more antioxidants and that kind of thing. So you either want to stay there for a while or move back down. So that's how you can kind of bypass the G6PD deficiency. So if you
0: have that genetic mutation or deficiency, you can still do ozone therapy. You just have to go at a slower pace.
1: Yeah, there's a few people that can't do ozone therapy. Um, But to answer your question, yes. There's a few people that can't do it. Um, (laughs) you're drunk (laughs) which isn't a person but just a time issue but if you have anemia or blood clotting issues meaning your blood is not clotting not supposed to do ozone therapy um if you have recently had a heart attack or your heart is in a really unstable state uh and i mean like really unstable like you could have a heart attack at any moment like you don't want to be doing ozone therapy so there's a couple situations but all in all extremely safe they did an assessment on ozone therapy this was in the IVs, so the the blood treatment, which is the most, uh, let's say, most invasive, even though it's not like a surgery or anything. We're just taking some blood out, mixing in the ozone gas, and putting it back in just like a normal IV, except we're using your own blood. Um, They found that 6 in 100,000 treatments had an adverse reaction. So that's lower than the use of aspirin. An adverse reaction does not necessarily mean that it's dangerous. It can, but in this case, it wasn't so but the the other thing that they assess out of the six in one hundred thousand, why was that and they found that it was because it was malpractice because they have to use a drug called heparin when they're pulling out the blood to prevent it from clotting so if i were to take some blood from you um, i don't want it to clot up if i'm going to put it back into you right so i put this drug in that prevents the clot formations of the blood and so there are people who cannot take that drug so if they're on prescription blood thinners if they have anemia blood clotting issues that kind of stuff they they should not be taking heparin. So in that six and one hundred thousand, almost most of those were also due to or were due to the the usage of heparin, not the ozone. And itself. the heparin, so extremely safe. Like yeah. that's wild. That's because even like a
0: dental filling stuff. has a higher side effect rate than six and one hundred thousand.
1: Yeah, like it, it's pretty nuts. Like it seems yeah. unreal. I believe it.
0: So. Tell me more about this second company that you just became CEO of and congratulations on that. I can't even say the word right. Meta, meta, say it for me. Metabolomics. metabolomics. So what is that?
1: Yeah. So metabolomics, um, it's the study of the metabolism. So essentially in the context of this company, um, and I'm not the scientist by the way. So like my, uh, there, there's a curve off of how sure. much I can talk about this, but, um, yeah so they're, they're essentially looking at these things called metabolites in your system so your metabolism everything flows through it right so if you have microplastics in your system there are certain metabolites that are associated with that if you have stage one cancer there are certain metabolites associated with that if you are going to develop symptoms of alzheimer's in 20 years you can actually uh, there, there are metabolites that are associated with that at an extremely early stage So the idea is that we can test these metabolites that are associated with all these different things, including mitochondrial function, just general liver function, like uh, biological age, that kind of stuff. And we can get an assessment on what's happening in the body extremely clearly and with tremendous accuracy. Um, so there's not really, the reason I took on this project is because it doesn't currently exist. There are people that do metabolic testing, um, but not, anything like this. And so it has the potential to save a lot of lives because if you can detect stage one cancer in somebody, your survival rate goes through the roof. It goes extremely high. And so the concept is like, let's get into precision medicine through the metabolism and then start to layer on these other omics, what they're called. So like the microbiome and then genetics and start to create a map of it's called the human Atlas project or that's what we're calling it is like what is really happening in the body to like a different depth that's never been explored before. You
0: made a post on Instagram about you have a friend from I think Arizona State University who's detecting stage one cancer early. Is this the same method that they're using to detect the cancer?
1: Yeah, so, well, I should put a, clear, a disclaimer on that. He is not detecting stage one cancer. He is detecting metabolites associated with stage one cancer because we sure. can't make a claim around it, right? Um, but the the metabolites are indicative of, uh, or are associated, have been studied with um, their progression in cancers and that kind so of thing. So if you
0: find a metabolite that's indicative or correlates to its form of stage one cancer, then from there... How do you seek? Do you try to find where it is in the body.
1: Um, uh, that's a good question. So uh, he he has like different. They all have like different signatures. So in the context of like breast cancer, that will have a certain metabolic profile, whereas like pancreatic cancer will have a different metabolic pro- profile. So they actually develop different metabolites based on like where it is in the body, and it might not be to the degree of like an imaging you know, type thing, but it will give you kind of an idea of where it's at and the stage of progression and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you, you can essentially based on the metabolic profile or the disease signatures and the different metabolites that they create, get an idea of like exactly what's happening. Am I like
0: making a leap by saying if you can use metabolites to detect or correlate early forms of cancer, that food is medicine because food basically drives your metabolism.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think we. But done nobody that follows it. Yeah, I, I totally agree <laughs> with you. Um, but,
0: I mean, you see people out there. How many people have type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all from food? But if you're using metabolism to detect cancer, that may change people's mind on how important it is.
1: Yeah, it's a it, metabolic disease.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. 100%. Who's uh, Thomas C. Fried? You ever read his book? Okay, so I have he thinks that the same way too, that cancer is a metabolic disease. So
1: I, I think it's, you know, as far as I understand, uh, Paniz is the one in academia, so he's the researcher. But he seems, it, the way he communicates about it is that it's a pretty well-known thing in academia. But you know the interesting thing is, like, he is not in this, like, natural kind of integrative model of thinking, right? So he's, like... When I first started talking with him, actually, he's like, oh, yeah, all those integrative doctors are quacks, (laughs) you know, but he but he also just had this disassociation of what he thought an integrative doctor was. So like he didn't really understand it. And I would hear him talking and he would be saying things that are exactly in line with an integrative school of thought which is like, let's do a cost benefit analysis on this. And there's, oh, there's all these surgeries that actually suck and are massively invasive and like should not be done. We need to assess lifestyle factors first and that kind of thing. And uh, over time I started to pick up on, and he's since like been like, oh, uh, that kind of opened up my world because that's like what research is based, like what research is saying is like pretty much an integrative model of medicine. Um, But there's this huge disconnect between academia and medical practitioners. And so in academia, they're constantly doing research. They have so much knowledge and so much information and so much resource, but that is not getting pumped into the medical system at the rate at which it could. It's super bureaucratic and they both have their own problems that they face, but kind of oh, I totally agree. And
0: I, I know my sister's oncologist does not listen to this podcast, but his view of cancer is that it is purely genetic unlucky that he even told my sister, my family—that there's no environmental factors that increase the risk of cancer. What?
1: Uh, that's and uh, that's. Is it like the dumbest thing? False. Yeah, I mean, there, like, yeah, there, there yeah. are. Carcinogens. I mean, smoking. <laughs> there are things that are known yeah. to cause cancer. Like that is objectively. False. It blows my mind,
0: and it, it kind of goes to when I was reading one of your Instagram posts about you made a, a thought about mindset, and you said that. Visualization is a great tool for achieving goals. So, how are you using visualization to achieve these goals to run these companies and to reduce suffering?
1: Yeah, so I mean the the biggest uh, school of so I have like long-term and short-term goals and the most long-term goals are like by the end of my life what do I want what do I want to have? And so I look in five different categories: faith, family, finance, fitness, and friends. And so I say like on my deathbed, assuming I make, make it to like 80 some years old and you know, I don't step outside and
0: <laughs> I just assume,
1: I assume the best, right? Because that keeps me on the, the path of progression towards that thing. So I, I look towards something really distant in the future like that and say like, what do I want to do in this world? What do I want to accomplish? I got one shot, right? So I better give it a good whirl. And so it, in the context of career, um, I kind of leave it, leave it open-ended to a degree where it's reduced suffering in the world. Um, I, I have yet to, I guess, define that a little bit more for my end of life stage, but I, I hope it's had a huge impact, like not just millions, but like over a billion people affected by the work that we've, we've produced. And so that's why this metabolomics company is extremely attractive to me because like I've had upper other, a lot of other opportunities that aren't you know, too dissimilar, Uh, not necessarily metabolomics, but like getting into a company and getting involved. But this had a clear alignment with that. And so anyway, I reverse engineer kind of that thought process of what I want in those five categories and set hard 10 year goals, hard three year goals, hard one year goals, quarterly, weekly, daily. And so every day in some respect, I'm working towards these end of life objectives. And that's a really really cool exercise to do because I could literally plan out next week and I do it in fifteen minute increments of what I'm going to do throughout my day, um, and, I, and I'm not perfect, so I'm not like if we go one minute past this podcast. Oh, I'm thank sure. God! You know,
0: like, <laughs> I, I do it.
1: I, I do it to my best, but. Um, but I can work every day in 15 minute increments towards something that's going to contribute to these end of life goals. And what that visualization process does is it gives you a tremendous, um, ability to filter out things that are either contributing to those goals or taking away from those goals. So, um, at one point I was drinking too much alcohol, right? (laughs) And, uh, it was starting to become an issue for me and alcohol doesn't care about like what you believe or anything like that. It just, it, it affects people, right? And in different ways. So for me, I was able to look at like, what is it that I truly want out of life? And is this in line with that? And I was able to stop and never think about it again and just move on. And like, it gives you such clarity around the things that you should be doing and should not be doing. Um, I shouldn't say such clarity because it's not like I know everything, but I get this really good filtering mechanism for saying this is either contributing or taking away from what I want in life. And so the visualization process is not just to have this like daydream about what things could be, but to actually give you a decision tree that you can use in your life on a day-to-day basis. We
0: seem to be in the same stage of life and our kids are similar age. If you're willing to, could you share with me your 10-year goal for family?
1: (laughs) It's not super... um, like I don't, in that respect, set out like these really like, oh, I want to be X percentage of this. So it's not like numbers are uh, metrics oriented, but it would be to be surrounded by family members that I love. And we have loving relationships and my kids have respect for me and that I am honoring them and opening up opportunities for them. And it's more in like that department school of thought than like this, for example, a business like has a more hard goal of like in 10 years, hundred million dollars in revenue per year profit at X number of employees, that kind of stuff. And so in those more, just like life categories that are like family and friends, it's a bit more ambiguous, but they, they still give me like, okay, the goal is to have loving relationships with all my family members. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that I have to be in communication with all of them as well. And so I actually travel out to Washington every year for a month to spend time with my in-laws. I go down to Florida for a month at a time to spend time with my parents because that that's a part of my objective is to have loving relationships with all my family members. So it gives me um, kind of a school of thought that I can use to say like, this is worth pursuing or this is not worth pursuing. I love that
0: and I'm the same way with terms of family because you made a comment on your Instagram that it's not diet, sleep, it's actually your connection with your family and community that will help you live longer than anything Mm -hmm. else. And just from my perspective here, what your dad did for you by showing you the way to be an entrepreneur, I truly believe you're doing that for your kids too. I see your kids when you take your ice bath and that your little son is next to you while you're in the ice bath. I, I love that. I love that. So I want to be very respectful of your time and we're kind of coming to the hour mark. I always ask two questions at the end. The first one is what is one piece of advice you'd want to give to this audience before we close out the interview?
1: oh yeah i don't know in the context of ozone therapy research it i guess in the context of more like life and philosophy is is to visualize the end of your life and what you want to have in five categories faith family finance fitness and friends and fitness encompasses overall health so they just use five f's to make it easier to remember but um going through that process can really kind of enumerate and elucidate like a lot of things in your life. And so you'll be able to backtrack and say, is this the career that I need to be in? Or is this the person that I want to be associated with? And so it just gives you a pretty big illumination into where you're at today because, and then just make a ruthless progression towards those end goals that you've set. And I I think that's a really impactful thing to do. I mean, it's super simple. Like all you're doing is looking into the future and you're guessing like, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know exactly what it's going to be. But you can feel, like, a direction. And so even though I won't have a super defined, like, loving relationships with all my families, like, respect and uh, respectful relationships with all my kids and, like, that, that kind of stuff, even though it's not, like, a super clear metric that I can test against, it gives me a, a directional area to move into. And so I think just even if it's not super clear and it's not super – um, defined, like having a direction that you're pulling in is better than no direction at all. Like you're just kind of shooting. I the
0: totally agree. Wherever. Have you heard of Jordan Peterson's self authoring program? Okay. I is, have. Is, I you're already it. doing it basically. It's like setting goals. And like okay. you said, cause we have so much information. If you're filtering out all the garbage and focus on these five goals, you'll keep moving towards that direction. Do you share these goals with your wife? You guys go over them together.
1: Uh, I have, I haven't in a while. That's actually a good idea to, to go through that process. So it should be done on a yearly basis too. I would add to that. So every year you're a year smarter. So your end of life goals, your 10 year goals, your three year goals, your one, year goals, um, you're, 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 smarter. So redo them. Um, even if it means taking something off or adding something like for your end of life goals. Or are there
0: certain goals. goals that are changing as you get older?
1: Yeah, so the the I will have elapsed my first ten year goal that I set. Um, I think like two and a half years from now, so I haven't yet hit a ten year mark of what I have set in the past. Um, but yeah, every year I make an assessment, uh, especially in the business. I'm a little bit more particular about like doing the business same day every year, that kind of thing. Um, on my personal, it's a little bit more uh, loose, where it's just like kind of within the month of January, like do a journal entry on like what I want at the end of life. Um, I I'm oh, sorry, no, it was a question again. <laughs> I started. And, I, and off I love that by the way. Was just
0: a, So I'll give you an example for me as I get older, I'm becoming less materialistic and more spiritual. So like, as you get older, are your goals changing? Like maybe when you were 22, you want to be a billionaire, but, but when you're 32, oh, like you sure. just want to have like four healthy kids. Are you,
1: yeah, I think it would be kind of strange if they weren't changing because you are developing as a person, and change is, you know, good in the sense that it's indicating that you're getting new thoughts and new ideas and new um, a better understanding of yourself, and so you're aligning um, your goals with yourself better and that kind of thing. And so I think it indicates growth if if they are. Um, changing for a direction that's better. And so I think they should be changing. I don't think they
0: should. There's always that one kid from high school that has the same goals at 18 as he does at 36. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's so (laughs) funny. Um, Exactly. I got to tell you, Micah, um, you're on the right path. Um, I'm so excited, honored, grateful to have spoken to you for the past hour. I think you're gonna reach that mark where you help a billion people. You're gonna help a ton of people. And I know for a fact you're helping the people that are closest to you. And you're helping me a lot too, so I really appreciate it. So before we close, can you tell people where they can find you and how they can get hooked up with your company?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple different areas. Um, First of all, more like me personally, like. What I'm into is Instagram. Uh, That's not necessarily focused in any one direction. And I'm not posting all facets of my life or anything, but just kind of some stuff that I'm interested in when I think about it. Um, And that's micah for health all spelled out. So it's micah for health Um, And you can kind of get a little bit more on me there. But if you're interested in ozone therapy and what we talked about there, there's a website that has a bunch of education. And that's called drsozone.com that's really the place to go to. If like, say you are going through chemotherapy or you do just want to look into it for performance enhancement, go to that website, doctorzozone.com, Check it out. There's like free guides, there's articles, there's videos, there's a lot of
0: information. Great. And there. then your company is simply O3. Great. Yep. Well, mm-hmm. I cannot thank you enough. I hope I can have you back on for a part two. Yeah,
1: that'd be fantastic. Th- I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you ask great that. Questions. Well,
0: Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye, Micah.
1: Yep, you as well.